Welcome to Wrestling with God Show, the podcast where we grapple with the big questions about faith, religion, and life. I'm Irish McMahon, and I'm here with my friend and Irish Catholic priest, Father Len McMillan. Hey, Father Len. Hey, Irish. So, Father Len, let's give our listeners a little context on where we are at this moment in time. It's kind of a crazy time. We're actually recording this episode four months into the coronavirus pandemic uh, here in 2020, and state and local governments have imposed these stay-at-home orders on all of us, so we can't go anywhere. And this is done to hopefully uh, slow the spread of the virus. But sadly, that's caused 25 to 30 million people here in the United States to suddenly be unemployed without paychecks. And similar things are happening around the world. There's pain and suffering and loss being felt by almost everyone, almost everywhere. 70,000 people have actually died from the coronavirus here in our country alone. So this kind of begs a couple of questions. Does God have anything to do with all this? And can any possible good come from the coronavirus or other evils like it. So, Father Len, hopefully uh, you can shine a little light on all this darkness. Well, my hope is this coronavirus will be a species-changing event, and it demands a wrestling with God. Because I tend to frame things kind of philosophically and um, theologically, I don't actually want to start there, where the word for this in theology, if you want a big fancy word, is theodicy. It is, what do you say about evil in the world? And the thing about Christianity and Judaism that points to the fact that we believe that we have this God who is all good and loving. But why do we have to wrestle with evil? And Buddhism, Shintoism, Confucianism, I... I respect them. I like studying them, but they have no theodicy. They don't demand that one really wrestle with evil in the world. That that's Christian and Jewish theology, but we actually have to wrestle with what is evil. Why is there evil in the world? For sure. Yeah. And humanity has always done it. I mentioned this before the first piece of literature ever written in human history was the story of Gilgamesh. It's just a brilliant, brilliant piece of writing. Um, And it's 6,000 years old. And of course, they know in studies, it's even older than that passed on by oral tradition. And the title of it, in its original title, is The Man Who Looked Into the Deep, which is a great title, The Man Who Looked Into the Deep. I like that. And the story is, how do you become a full human being? And Gilgamesh just tell you the story real quick. Gilgamesh is this teenager. He's arrogant. He has a sense of power about himself. And so the gods create uh, a friend for him who is in some ways just as powerful, but opposite. And the friend's name is Enkidu. And Enkidu and Gilgamesh, they first meet and they start to wrestle and fight and neither one can best the other. So they become best friends. And uh, they go on this adventure of attacking this monster in the forest cedars of Lebanon and they overcome this monster and then they come back celebrating bringing all this wood to build up the city 
and the goddess Ishtar comes down and she wants to make Gilgamesh her consort. Well, Gilgamesh always knows that she tends to kill a lot of her people, so he doesn't want that. And so they mock her and Enkidu slaps her in the face with the leg of a bull. And at that point, the gods decide, we can't have this. They're so united that they could be a threat. So they kill Enkidu. And Gilgamesh holds his best friends in his arms as he dies. And it shocks Gilgamesh because he, for the first time, realizes how fragile and fleeting life is. And so after that, it's a story where he first tries escapism, and that doesn't work. Then he tries hedonism. <laughs> you know, drink, dance, women, but that doesn't work either. He, it's still a form of cowardice. He's running away from why is life fleeting? Why is there death? So then he goes on this, takes up a journey to find Noah, Utnapishna in their language, Noah. And he finds Noah, the old man, and Noah kind of calls him a fool. He says, why are you spending all your strength and energy fighting this? And he says, you've got to find your purpose in life. I'm editing it down. You've got to find your purpose in life. And so Gilgamesh, after this, goes back to the city and becomes a good king and builds up the city. And he's a hero in the story, not because he had these great adventures. He's a hero in the story because he learned something. And he learned to look into the deep. And into the deep is the meaning of life and looking at pain and suffering and loss. And to look into the deep causes us to become a full human being. And our society, especially in this century, with the abundance of our culture and the many ways of luxury, we have ways of distracting ourselves from death. We keep death at a far distance. That's other people's pains. And we really don't feel that much pain. The story of Gilgamesh is that we can't run away from it. So Gilgamesh, he can't really just become a true human being with escapism or wine drinking and women. You have to look in the deep. You have to wrestle with this theology of why do these things happen? And one of the theologies I really like is from the St. Irenaeus from the early church. And he's probably the second truly great theologian of our history. The first being St. Paul, you know, after Christ, St. Paul, and then Irenaeus. And Irenaeus, he was a disciple of this guy named Polycarp, who was a disciple of John the Evangelist. So that's really good street cred. He was kind of taught by one of the the right people. Yeah. And his theology, one part of it is that looking at evil to find the ultimate goodness of God. And he has this really, when I read this as a many years ago, it just shocked me because he says in the garden of Eden, humanity was innocent, but immature. That how humanity was in the garden of Eden symbolizes this innocence, but we weren't mature humanity. We are destined to grow into the image of God. And so in the garden of Eden, it's kind of the garden of potentiality. And we still live like that today. We're destined to grow into the image of God. 
Father Len, for listeners who don't know the creation story of Adam and Eve and the Garden of Eden, could you just kind of review that quickly for us before we go any further? Oh, yeah. So humanity was put in this garden, and we have work to do. And God says, you can eat from all of the trees, but don't eat from the tree of good and selfishness. It doesn't mean good in the sense of goodness. It means being able to find yourself what is good. And so God says, you can eat from all the trees. Well, in the center of the garden was the tree of life. And the tree of life, its fruit gives you spiritual life. So the fruit from other trees would give you physical life, but to eat from the tree of life gives you spiritual life. And to eat from the tree of life, all you need to do is walk by the tree of good and selfishness. So a little bit of self-restraint, a little bit of sacrifice of, I don't get to define for myself what is goodness. And so Adam and Eve, they can't. The problem was Adam and Eve chose to define goodness by themselves. Rather than define goodness by the image of God, they decided to define goodness themselves. That's what eating from the tree of uh, good and selfishness means. I get to define what is good. And the good can't ever be satiated through fulfilling lower desires. You don't get to define what is good. I think humanity is born immature and God still guides us into full humanity. God guides us into becoming an image of God. And God created Adam and Eve. This is Irenaeus' thought. He created humanity to be in the image of God. But Adam and Eve were immature. Adam and Eve's sin, eating from the tree of good and selfishness, eating of it, it gets them kicked out of the Garden of Eden. Not because God is angry and you disobeyed me, but really more the theology is You can't live in the garden of goodness if you have to define yourself what is good. And afterwards, Adam and Eve, their unity is broken. Their unity between them and each other, the unity between them and the earth, the unity between them and the divine, and even within themselves. So they hide in the darkness. And the rest of the Bible, in one sense, it's this theme which tree are you going to eat from? The tree of selfishness or the tree of life? The whole journey, the rest of the Bible, is getting back into the Garden of Eden. And the only way of getting back into the Garden of Eden is actually through dying to our selfishness. Now we have to know the effects of sin. So human beings need, over time, to grow, to mature, not only in their individual lives, but, and this is pretty stunning on Irenaeus, but also we need to grow as a species over the course of time. In order to become fit for this destiny God intends us to, union with the divine, we need to grow as a species. We have to mature as a species, not just individuals. And to get to maturity, we have to know the consequences of evil then we can welcome a new grace of life. So this maturation is this complicated matter of transforming our desires from the immediate material desires for the base 
to this genuine desire for union, communion with God and other people. We learn how to transform ourselves through experiencing the pain that we inflict upon ourselves by going after the wrong things that will make us happy. So Adam and Eve were not wrong in wanting to be like God. They're wrong in thinking that material feasting and things, uh, feeding our base appetites will somehow make us like God. So we are destined to become this loving image like God, but not the way Adam and Eve thought. So how this relates to the coronavirus is the coronavirus, as I said, it, I hope it becomes a species-changing event for Irenaeus. To grasp the divine, you have to empty yourself to receive it. Those who understand this have learned that the only way that will satisfy this hunger is really for God himself. That's why those in heaven, what do they feast on? But the life of God. Communion with the divine also brings communion with other people. So the way back into the garden, we have to face the devil. To get to heaven, to get the state of communion with each other and divine, it demands going through hell. And this theme is all through, to me, great literature. Like the Lord of the Rings, the Lord of the Rings, for Gandalf, this wizard, to become the white wizard, he has to go through hell and battle with himself. Or Luke Skywalker, he has to face Darth. Irenaeus used the example of Jonah in the belly. He's the first person to do this. He uses the story of Jonah and being swallowed up by the fish. Jonah has to know the consequences of his own prejudice and ignorance in order to be reborn. That's what being swallowed up in the fish means. He has to go down to hell and really feel his own loneliness and pain that he himself caused before he can start something new. So, Father Lynn, you seem to be saying that for us to become mature human beings, we really must experience the pain of evils like the coronavirus and even the pain and suffering we end up inflicting on ourselves when we selfishly go after the wrong things to make us happy. And, and are you also saying God caused the coronavirus to help with this maturing process? Right. That... I'm not saying God caused it, but maybe it's a consequence of our own way of life. Think about this. In the 1990s, many scientists warned that because of our change in our culture, all this travel and mixing, new viruses kept popping up. We're getting more and more exposed to viruses. Makes us ripe for a pandemic. But nobody really wanted to hear that. Why should we change the way we live? Before, you had these diseases, but now with global travel and trade, everything's so interconnected that I'm not saying God caused it, but the consequences, God can use it to make us better people. So you're saying the consequences of our behavior have this big ripple effect that hopefully we actually begin to recognize more fully. Yeah, well, what happens in China affects us here in Idaho. What happens in L.A. affects us here in Idaho. The world is so interconnected that a problem in one world, part of the world is all of our problems. 
Before we had a way of distancing ourselves, but now we have to be concerned about what happens in one small corner of the world. It affects all of us. You're really saying that our behavior, no matter what it is, how big or small, could be affecting someone else, and we should really be aware of that. And that's one of the things here that we're really talking about. Right. That we're so interconnected. We're waking up that either we survive together or we fall apart. So there's like two types of evil. Um, I'm getting, getting back to Irenaeus. Irenaeus would say there's two types of e- evil, intrinsic and extrinsic. One is a moral evil. That's things that we do to each other. And in some ways, we train ourselves for moral evil, such as something small like texting while driving that leads to an accident. We'd say that's a moral evil because you trained yourself in certain ways not to care about other people. So Irenaeus says we train ourselves to behave in certain ways, and then it inflicts you without you even knowing it. It affects all of us, and we trained ourselves to be ignorant of it. It's, it's kind of like these kids on spring break uh, in Florida, you know. They certainly illustrate uh, training themselves not to be worried about anything but themselves. You know, they're... Right. And our society, you can't say, well, that's those spring breakers. Our society taught them. Our society taught them about Mardi Gras as well, where, you know, who cares if it's a pandemic? I have the right to party. What in our whole society produced this? If we're going to wrestle with evil, we have to wrestle with, we all produce that. We somehow trained our society, trained our young, that my right to party is more important than everybody else's health. And we have to experience the pain of that evil so that we can truly find our way back to community. We have to feel the pain that we caused. So you're saying, hopefully, when we feel that pain, whether we caused it or it was caused by some evil like the coronavirus, we actually become more compassionate and loving and feel a real sense of community. Yeah. Now, God will not compel us, but God will let us live the consequences of our own mistakes. He'll simply offer us salvation. The deeper we get into despair, the more attractive salvation actually looks. But we have to feel the pain of our own consequences. So we kind of damn ourselves in a way. Does that make sense? It totally makes sense. And what's truly sad is the hardness of heart not to choose the way of compassion. That all these people in Louisiana who went Mardi Gras, they thought they had the right to. The interviewer with the spring breaks where one kid in the interview says, well, what happens, happens. It's, you know, that's, uh, that's not my problem. Yeah, it is. It's all our problems. We're one species. And we need to stop thinking just about me. And even in the United States, in the United States, we've so exalted individualism that we put it above the community. I believe in being self-reliant, but we're still one community. So, yeah, you don't have the right to party when it endangers everybody, the whole system. Now, Irenaeus said, well, there's human evil, evil we afflict, afflict upon each other, and you find that in the coronavirus. But there's also natural evil. Like, 
a virus is a natural evil um, or a natural. Well, well, or like the earthquake we had the other day. The earthquake or the floods. Now, here's the thing. And this gets a little strange. The virus itself is not evil. And I had to explain to this third grader who I go and I take questions from third graders. And it's always kind of a well, little kids. And they always have questions about evil. And the questions start always, what about sharks? Are sharks evil? And I said, no, sharks are not evil. They're dangerous, but they're <laughs> not evil. And then they'll just switch it. And they're, I don't know why here in Idaho, they always go to wolves. And they said, well, a wolves evil. And I said, no, wolves are not evil. They're dangerous. And there's a story, I just love it, from Native American story about an Indian story where the caribou were getting sicker and weaker and more diseased and getting sicker and sicker. And so they prayed to the great spirit to solve the caribou getting so sick. The, the great spirit formed the wolf. So the wolf keeps the herd healthy. The wolf is dangerous, but it has a purpose. Does that make any sense? Totally. So yeah, there's coronaviruses, but Irenaeus would say, the virus itself is actually not evil. What is evil is how we respond to it. Do we hide away or deny it or just think of ourselves and endanger everybody else? Or do we come together as a community? That's why like, I really hope this becomes a species-changing event. But the problem is we have such poor memories. This is not the first pandemic. Everybody knows that. You had the bubonic plague, and you had one before that. Human history is littered with literature about, uh, and it's always the same thing, where a pandemic strikes, and either you can choose selfishness or cowardness, or you can choose bravery and unity. So with the coronavirus, things like this, we do have to look at evil and feel the consequences of it and really cause this kind of self-examination. What reaction are we going to have? Denial or cowardice or hiding away or distraction, escapism? Or are we going to choose spiritual enlightenment? I like the Irenaeus idea that maybe as a species, we're meant to mature. You know, you know what strikes me, something you said, so we experience something like the coronavirus, and in the moment, it has quite an effect on us. We start to see some things that maybe we should do differently. We start to realize maybe that we can't control everything. We start to realize that whatever we do affects other people and, and what selfishness can do. But you, you're also saying, and this is kind of human nature, that, you know, does this stick? In the moment, while we're suffering, while we're having to make sacrifices, we get it. But then the minute it goes away, like the coronavirus is going to go away at some point. Right. Will what we experienced and what we learned from it actually stick? For some, this coronavirus may enlighten us and make us more mature human beings. Other ones, they'll quickly dismiss it. So, so really, I think that's a good place to end, uh, Father Len, is maybe asking everyone to kind of reflect on what effect this has had on them, what they're really learning about their lives, and hopefully 
what they what they learn will stick. I think that's really kind of what we're saying here. So hope you'll join us when we get together next time as we continue our journey climbing the mountain of life, searching for truth and meaning and purpose in our lives. And in the meantime, if you have a question, uh, and certainly it doesn't have to be about the coronavirus, but if you have a question that you'd like us to grapple with about faith, religion, and life, we'd love to hear from you. Just head over to our website. It's www.gshow.com. That's www.gshow.com. Click on the questions button. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.